Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. Good morning, LBCF. Good morning, my party people. Good morning. Y'all, it's been a morning. Has anybody else had one of those mornings? Yes. Okay. So this is just the thing today. It's kind of good to know. Hey, it's good to be with you. If this is your first Sunday here, welcome. I always, um, maybe because I'm such an introvert, I feel the risk of trying out a new church. And so when I see a new face, I'm always humbled and grateful that you were willing to try that with us. So thank you. Thanks for being here. And if I have not met you, I want to meet you. Come hug me after church. Um, My name is Mary, and I'm the children's pastor, children and family pastor here at Long Beach Christian Fellowship. So I'm usually in the hallways because I really believe it when Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is made up of little children. And so I watch the kids to show me what the kingdom of God looks like. And from my perspective, it looks like lots of goldfish crackers and little Dixie cups of water, and a little bit of pandemonium, and a whole lot of joy and wonder and eagerness, and it is beautiful. Um, And let me just say that that's my shameless plug for the fact that we do need volunteers. So if you want to see the kingdom of heaven in action, come talk to me. I've got a place for you. Um, So today... We are continuing our series and learning to live and love like Jesus. And it's, it's an interesting thing to message prep when you have ADHD because you go into some really crazy rabbit holes in the midst of it. And so, I mean, I was reading today, I'm gonna to talk about learning to look at other people the way that Jesus looks at them. And so I rabbit holed into like the neuroscience of seeing people. And I found this really interesting experiment and I wanted to kind of try it out with all y'all today to see if it could actually be true. So who remembers the dress? Okay, yeah. So this neuroscientist has this theory on why we see it the way we see it. And I wanna see if, if it could possibly be true. So. Raise your hand if you see this dress as white and gold. Okay, if this theory is correct, that's really interesting. Um, Raise your hand if you see it as blue and black. Okay, so I also see it as blue and black. I don't know how anybody else can see it as white and gold. When I showed it to other people and they saw it as white and gold, I'm like, that's amazing. My mom was like, how can you see blue and black? You're clearly colorblind. And I was like, no, I'm not. But this theory is that we see things based on our realities, based on our experiences of life, and they shape the way that we actually see them. Our brains are translating them in this really specific way. So for my one person who saw white and gold, are you a morning person? Okay, so for all my other people who saw blue and black, who considers yourself a morning person? So not that many which kind of says this might have some truth to it. His theory is that you see it based on 
how you have experienced the world. And if you have experienced the world through natural light, which is more yellowish, your brain automatically translates this into white and gold. And if you're a night owl, you see it through the artificial light, and it translates it to blue and black. Isn't that crazy? So I just love that. Thank you all for humoring me on that. But here's the thing. Our eyes are deceptive. They see what they want to see, and they look for what they want to look for. In, in 1 Samuel, it says this, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And what he's talking about here, the heart, ancient Israelites had no concept of the brain. So when they were talking about the heart, the heart would have been where all the thoughts and feelings and motivations and intentions, that's where they all stemmed from. And that is what the Lord looks like. And so when we are learning to live and love like Jesus and learning to look at other people the way that Jesus looks at them, we have to start closing our eyes, which can be very cold and judgmental, and opening the eyes of our heart and looking at the person right in front of us through our heart. And to do that, we have to look at our own heart first. And we have to really bump up against our biases and our judgments and lay those aside so that we can truly love the person that is right in front of us that God has given us to love. And I wanted to talk about this today because if left to my own devices, I'm really bad at looking at people through my heart. And I really want to be good at it. And God has been really kind to me and that he's given me so many chances to challenge the perceptions that I have about people and allow me to see them in a new light. And it's changed the way that I look at people sometimes, but it's changed the way I want to look at people always. So there is this time many years ago when my now adult children were very little. It was 2008 and it was post-gymnastics. And so we went to Wendy's for Frosties and French fries as one does. And while we were there, this guy came in and he was like, I mean, muscles coming out of his shirt, like big buff shoulders, biceps. And he walked up to this woman and he timidly said something to her. And she looked a little annoyed. And then she handed him a bill and just walked away. And my eyes can be cruel. Like I looked at that guy and I was like, this guy has time to work out, but he doesn't have time to get a job. I hope he asks me for money because I am going to take delight in saying no to him. I know this is horrible. Like, please still love me at the end of this story because I get this is terrible, but this is what my eyes will do when they're left to their own devices. They will judge people. But God was so kind to me. He had this man sit down right in front of me like at a different table. So I had this front row seat. And I kept looking at this guy because I kept judging him. Like, superiority feels so good, y'all. And I was just enjoying that so much. And then I saw this guy, like, kind of wipe at his eyes. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. He has allergies. 
And then I saw him starting to like wipe at his cheeks and dab at his nose. I was like, okay, so either this guy has pretty bad allergies or this guy is crying. And then I continue to watch him. And this grown man is sitting alone at Wendy's crying into his burger. And I could no longer judge him. What was replaced was tenderness and compassion for this man. And I sat down beside him and I said, are you okay? And um, his English was really broken. And my Spanish is like, I had three years of it in high school and the only thing that I really have memorized from that is, su casa es mi baño, which like, <laughs> has never been received warmly by anybody. So it was like this really awkward interaction where we were both just trying to piecemeal these little bits of English and Spanish that we knew together so that we could learn each other's stories. His name is Yoel and he came from Guatemala, and this was 2008. This is when the housing bubble burst and there were no jobs. And um, he came from Guatemala so he could make money and send it back to his family. And then there was no money. And he was stuck here and he was alone. To this day, I still hold Yoel's name in my heart. I still pray for him. I still wonder how he's doing. I love Yoel, even though I've never seen him again. I would have missed that opportunity of loving the person right in front of me because of that superiority I so wanted to hold on to. God has given me these chances again and again where he lets me bump up against the judgments that I have about people and he lets me see the human being right in front of me. And every time, it hasn't been a gift for the other person, it's been a gift for me. I'm so grateful for those chances that I get to love somebody. When I'm reading the gospel, what makes my heart just want to explode with joy and wonder is the number of times that I find in the gospels that it says that Jesus saw somebody. And so I did a thing. I did a thing that I've never done before. I read through the Gospels from all four of them, nonstop, consecutively, in one fell swoop. I did not meditate on the verses. I did not do like cross-scriptural references. I just read them. And if you've never done that before, I highly recommend it. It's really cool because you see these patterns you would never see otherwise. And while I was doing it, actually, this guy was at a coffee house, and I'm taking notes of every time I see reference that Jesus saw. And this guy comes up to me, and he taps the, the page, and he says, be honest, how long would it take you to finish this book? And I was a little confused because, like, most people know the format of a Bible, and most people know that in a Bible, you don't usually just read it from cover to cover. So I wasn't sure if he knew I was reading a Bible or not. And I, I, I just said, well, a lifetime. It's going to take me a lifetime to read this book. And he looks surprised. And if I'm using my cold, judgmental eyes, my guess is that he thought that I was just going to say what a voracious reader I was, and he was going to tell me how he reads even more. See how mean my eyes are? But... Um, 
he looked confused and he said, really? And I was like, yeah, well, it's the Bible. So I'm going to read it my whole life in order to understand it. And he thought about it for a second. And he's like, yeah, I guess you, you'd have to read it two or three times to really understand it. And then he went on to tell me why God is real. And that was the end of our conversation. But this is what I do love about the Bible. The Bible is something we get to go to again and again, and we get to see new things every single time. And I love that the Bible is also something that we only need for while we're here. When we are in God's presence, we're not gonna need the Bible anymore. We're gonna have all new words from God. And I cannot wait to hear what those words are. But in the meantime, this book is more than enough for a lifetime of reading. And I noticed some really interesting patterns as I read through the different Gospels. First, I noticed Matthew and Mark reference Jesus saw the most. Matthew does it 16 times, and Mark does, no, yes, yes. Mark does it a whopping 24 times. And that is remarkable considering the fact that Mark only has 16 chapters. And I, like, look, I Googled this. I did not do this math. But Google told me that Mark, like the, the red letter words of Jesus are about 50%. So you could take away 50% of that too. That's how many times it is written in the book of Mark that Jesus saw people. I also thought it was really interesting that the book of Luke had Jesus saw the least. But coming from an authorship perspective, I think that's really interesting because Luke was the one who was like interviewing people. This was a book of history, of a biography of Jesus. And so it makes sense that he would have it the least because that one has all the people who were telling their stories of when they went to see Jesus. But the thing that I loved the most was that in Matthew, there's this transition that happens throughout the book. So we're gonna just do this really broad overview of some of the examples of when Jesus saw. Also, just really quick, shout out to Pax and Maggie. I did not get my slides to work, and they fixed it this morning in amazing, miraculous ways. You are amazing people. So here we see if you go, oh, look at that. Oh, where'd it go? Oh, go back to the first one. There it is. Um, he saw two brothers. And then a little later, he saw two other brothers. And then if we go to the next one, he saw, he saw Peter's mother-in-law. Um, he saw a crowd around them. So he keeps going. And then Matthew 9, it just is all over the place. Let me see if I can find some. He's, Jesus saw their faith in verse 2 knowing their thoughts and remember that jesus is looking at our hearts so knowing their thoughts is the same as seeing them um and then there's another one in there jesus went on and follow me yeah he saw matthew you get it there's a lot but then there's this uh, transition that happens after this let's see if i can find it Maybe the next one. There's more in here. Jesus saw a lot. But then, hmm, 
somewhere in here. Believe me, it says it somewhere. It says that he saw the crowds and he was moved with compassion. He looked on the crowds and he was moved to compassion. And after this, um, Matthew doesn't say that he saw people anymore. It's always that he looked on them with compassion. It's like as Matthew was writing this book, he was realizing, oh, this is what Jesus does. He locks eyes with people and then he sees them with compassion and he is compelled to love them in these ways. And it makes sense that it's the disciples who walk side by side that would have really had this resonate because they would have been the ones who would have seen Jesus lock eyes with somebody. They would have seen his eyes soften when he would see somebody in pain. He would, they would see his compassion. So we're going to do a couple things. This is almost going to be like a helicopter kind of sermon where we just go over a lot of little itty-bitty things. But um, we're going to look briefly at the way that Jesus looked at people. And we're going to compare it to the way that the Pharisees looked to people, the religious leaders. And then we're going to look at the good news for all of us as we are learning to look like Jesus. And so we're going to start in Mark 10, 21. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I've kept all of these since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. So I've always kind of read this story as the story of the man who walked away sad. And um, in my cold eyes, when I read this story, I've always been a little annoyed with this guy. Like, I mean, really, did he truly keep all these commandments? Like, since he was a kid, that seems, go him if he did. Um, so I always kind of felt like he was just looking for accolades. He was looking for this affirmation. And then Jesus asked one thing of him, just one thing, and he doesn't do it. Like, psh. But I read it this time totally differently. I read it this time as the story of Jesus. And in the story of Jesus, Jesus looks at this man and he loves him. Jesus looked at that man's heart and he saw eagerness, not arrogance. He looked at his heart and he saw an actual desire to know God and not some sort of deviousness where he was just looking for accolades to say, yeah, you're good, you're getting into heaven. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then Jesus asked him one thing, but it's a really big thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. Uh, for Lent this year, I gave up coffee drinks that cost more than $3. And that was hard for me. 
Uh, the last week I, I cheated, like I really needed a nice coffee one day. And I had it and it was delicious. But even that for 40 days was hard for me. And yet here is this man who's being asked to give everything and to follow Jesus. And he doesn't do it. And looking at it from the perspective of the fact that coffee was hard for me, I get how that would be hard for this man. But what captures my imagination is that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And I wonder what that look of love did for that man after he walked away. Jesus said that the one thing he was lacking is that he lacked nothing. And he said that because he loved him so much. And he knew that that safety and assurance he was looking for would be found by being near Jesus. And he wanted to give that to him. But it was still a hard ask. But Jesus never asks us to play it safe. We were born brave. But throughout our lifetimes, we, we learn to love safety and to live in fear. And Jesus was telling this man, if you really want that safety, come be, be near me. But it's going to come at a cost, a really big cost. And we never get to hear from this man again. He's not mentioned again in the Gospels. But here's what I make up. How would that memory of Jesus looking at him and loving him change his heart in the future? What if, what if this guy took those words and he wrestled with them and he was challenged by them and he didn't like them and he debated them and he went home and looked at all of his things and he measured the cost of them? And then what if when he heard about Jesus' death and resurrection, what if he actually did what Jesus told him to do? We don't know. What if he was a part of that first church that really gave so freely that nobody needed anything? What if he wanted to earn his spot and he walked away knowing that he didn't earn that place that he really wanted? But what he got instead was that look of love and that grace that he never knew he needed until that moment. We don't know how this man's story ends now, but someday we will find out. And I am curious how it does end for this man. So there is a very marked difference between Jesus' interaction with this man and with all the people where he is so moved to compassion and the religious leaders and how they look. So if you look at the next verse, which is in Matthew, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples became hungry and began to pick the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. But he said to them, have you not read what David did when he became hung hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those with him, but for the priests alone. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple break the Sabbath and are innocent? 
But I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. But if you have known what this means, I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So notice the religious leaders were looking at the disciples the way I was looking at Yoel. I was looking without curiosity. I was looking to have my, my bias confirmed. I was looking for ways to judge. And look at what Jesus wants instead. Compassion. This is how he looks, not to condemn. He looks with compassion always. It's such a marked difference from Jesus looking at that man and loving them. And it's such a marked difference from Romans 8 when we read, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. The one who could condemn is the one who looks at us with love, and he pleads our case. And from that place of being seen, really seen, all the messy feelings and thoughts and judgments and intentions that we carry around in our heart, and having him see all of those and look at them even with compassion and tenderness. From that place of being seen, we feel that sense of being loved, really loved. And from that place, the hope comes that we get to do the same to others, which is what happens with the disciples. So in the last thing we're gonna read, it says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to en enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave him his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God, and when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. They saw him. They had walked past that gate so many times. He was there every single day. And this time, they saw him. And they knew what happens when you see somebody and they get to see you lock eyes with them and you love them. Because 
something truly miraculous happens when we get to love the person right in front of us. And that is where our hope comes from. And it's really hard. It's really, really hard. Y'all have seen how quickly my eyes go to, to judgment and to coldness. And so I think all of us have that inside of us, that person that we look at that we really just want that confirmation bias on. And yet God says, compassion. Look at that person through the eyes of your heart. See what stirs up in you when you consider that person through the eyes of your heart. So I think all of us have that person. I have this neighbor that's this older lady and I have hid in my car to avoid a conversation with her sometimes because she just kind of sucks my soul dry. Um, but there have been times <laughs> when I've decided instead to look at her and to love her and to engage in a conversation with her. And beautiful things happen when I am willing to hand over that sense of superiority and choose compassion and tenderness instead. So my question for all of you who is that person? I think we all have that person. Who's that person that's hard for you to look at with compassion and tenderness? And maybe feel around inside your heart. Consider why that's hard. And if it is so hard for you, y'all have compassion on yourself and that heart that you have. And look at that with curiosity. Why? Is it so hard to look at that person? And then my challenge for you is to go out and to look at people the way that Jesus looked at them, with that compassion, with curiosity, with a desire to know them and to love them. And to know that when Jesus looks at you, he looks at you, and he loves you. So we are going to be um, transitioning into communion. Um, communion is open to anybody and everybody who wants to partake. If I love that communion is this tangible thing where we get to taste Jesus. We get to put him into our mouths. We get to chew up the body of Christ, and it nourishes us. And so, as, as we come to the table, hold how you are seen and you are loved. And these elements are such evidence of that. So we have, if this is your first time here, we have um, bitter herbs. These are the, it's parsley and salt water. And this is the reminder that we are human. And that we get to do the suffering of, like just like Christ did through our lives. And then we get to come to the table. And we get to have the bread. And we have wine. And we have grape juice. And then we have gluten-free crackers. So, yeah.
Let's taste and see that the Lord is good.